This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody in the Apex 2023 Fishbowl Studio here in Las Vegas. It's Carmen Capriato. Nice. Oh. Wait. Oh, I, am I right? Is this? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I've heard the voice before. Matt Fonslow. I think I'm me. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm here too. Brian. Brian Walker's here. Yeah. From the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast and from the Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z podcast, members of the Aftermarket Radio Network. And I know you hear them all the time. You could tune it in yourself. So what the hell are you doing on your show, Car? We heard this is number 900. It is, Brian. I think this is a plan from Tracy to what? Put me on the spot or something? I think just let everyone know this is 900 and then okay, but, go on with life. But we're taking this thing over. It's we're our gonna, podcast. Yeah, we're going right to commandeer now. it. That's a good idea. That's a whoops moment for me. You know how I prepare. I always have notes, do all kinds of research. What is this prepare thing? I don't I'm Yeah, not well, sure what I that need means. to talk to you about that. Don't you prepare a meal? I don't prepare a podcast. Well, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Oh. <laughs> Even though yours are really, really good with no prep. Remember, if you earn your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Hey, did you know that Napa Tracks has on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Tracks on the web at napatracs.com. Why don't you, after 900 episodes, tell us what goes into the preparation of a podcast oh. episode? Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. I mean, should I really spill the beans yeah. on, how, on how hard we work? Well, it comes up with an idea, right? We vet it. We talk back and forth, Tracy and I, even talk to some people in the industry. My ears to the ground. I'm reading. I'm listening uh, to everything. And I said, well, here's a great episode. And someone had mentioned that this person would be great at it. So I may pick up the phone or just email someone and say, hey, listen, we've got a great idea for a podcast episode. You've never been on before. Would you like to be, you know, just consider we'll talk about it. They say, yeah, that'd be kind of neat. It starts with an icebreaker call. And my story about icebreakers is one of the best ever that formulates what we do. So thank you for asking right out of the shoot here. I do a Zoom call. I want to find out what this person looks like, how they're on camera. And I want to find out Whatever they have to say, we're not recording. We're not doing anything. So if they're comfortable behind the mic, it's not like I'm assessing, but I'm getting a feel. And I said, I totally love your idea of doing this show. Thank you for wanting to be involved. Let's talk about it. Tell me about your background. I need your bio. I need a picture and I need to pull all this stuff together. Why are you so passionate about this or that? And I am vehemently typing almost every word they say. And I say, don't mind me. I may look to the left. You may hear clicking and clacking. But I'm writing down the key key words that I think could formulate questions, the, sh the shape of where the episode can go. Sometimes 15 minutes in, I got the episode. I know what we can talk about. And I tell the person, hey, look, at, I don't mean to be rude, but I need to stop talking to you. And they look at me like, I just... Because we're about ready to do the episode and I don't want to do it here on the Zoom call. And I don't want to drain you and get me all excited. But I have enough to move on to doing a real podcast because I want it to be as fresh as we can possibly make. 
So I asked that person there, okay, are you ready? You want to do this? Because I got enough. I know where we can go with this, even though you haven't told me everything. We picked the date. I always wanted to be two weeks further down the road if I could make it so that whatever that person told me goes away from their memory as much as I can get it. And then an hour before the show, I recall my notes and I look through my notes with my pen and my yellow marker and I do Q1, Q3, Q2, and I go down my bullet list and I say, these are questions that I want to ask. I don't write the questions. I just look at the input that I took. And while I'm in the studio recording, it just happens. I could look at that statement and come up with a question. And so they give me the questions. They outline them for me in the form of principled bullet points. And that's how so many episodes come to be. If they come back on the show six months later, I look at the original notes. I look at the show notes. We talk about a different topic and I blend it all together. And sometimes I go to the studio with six, seven, eight sheets of paper, depending on the legacy we have. And we record. And of course, Tracy cuts out all the bad stuff, I say. Do you ever do a show and it just goes completely in a direction that you didn't think it was going to? Yeah, yeah, I have. And sometimes those are the best, Brian. Everyone he's ever done with me. Oh my God, that's the truth. Yeah, I got to take, what are those pills that calm you down? Just before I go in the studio with Matt? Valium, I have to take a Valium, right? Uh, yeah. When I go in the studio with you. I mean, I think it forces the question is, how in the world do you end up with your daughter, Tracy, working with you? You've like, never heard that story? I can't imagine it's that good. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people here at the show, whenever we travel, and they say, how lucky you are to have your daughter working with you. And I said, I am the luckiest guy in the world. And back when the podcast kept growing and hell, I think it was Bob Greenwood's podcast. God bless Bob. You know, he's passed. We were experimenting with the aftermarket radio network and we were experimenting with private podcasting. And Bob signed on right away. And as, and then Bob passes and Chris came on board to take the coaching spot. And while I was dreaming about adding more people to the network, I realized that there's no way I could still be a solopreneur, even though we had an editor that was helping me. And so I've, I approached Tracy, I think a couple of times, a couple of very casual times. She was editing for me. It was her side hustle. Okay. And she started to learn about the industry. She, Tracy started to hear everything that was going on with people's lives. And she says, I'd always like to meet that guy, Matt, someday. And I says, no, you and, wouldn't. And then she did. <laughs> it was just, a big no, letdown. No, you wouldn't. All right. No, just told her. No, you wouldn't. Your, your life would be turmoil from then on. And so I took her and her fiance out to dinner. And in my back right pocket, I had a proposal for her. So I was prepared. And we got through with dinner at a local, you know, gin mill because I live in the country. The timing wasn't right. So we went back to the house. And I don't know if we got coffee, we got a cocktail. I don't remember what it was. And, and then I said, come on back in the office. So she comes into the office and, and I said, I've always wanted to have you come to work for me. I think there's a, a scale that we're ready to build that I need someone. And if it's not you, I've got to hire somebody else. And I gave her the sheet of paper and she said, dad, I'll think about it. Well, how long was it? 24 hours, a couple of days. And she said, yes, it was a great day. She had a great job, but I thought she had the talent to come in and do something like this, which she continues to prove every day. 
So 900 episodes. Just remarkable results and radio. Over 2,000. In the network. In the yeah. network. Yeah. I read a statistic that says that the typical podcast makes it seven episodes yeah. before they stop. And you hear similar statistics about small businesses, you know, that 80% of small businesses don't make it past five years. And then another 80% of those that make it past five years won't make it past 10 years. There's something special that goes into creating something like this. It could be a podcast, it could be a small business, you know, whatever it is. What would you say has been the thing that has led to you being able to do something like this? What is the secret to your success, if I may, you know, wow. to build up? That's a huge question. I mean, it's a loaded question that I probably can't answer in a sentence. I got a podcast coach. There were a bunch of things that I realized that I had to learn if I was going to do this, but I did it. The cool story I told, maybe not publicly on, on a podcast, was back when I was working for Corporate America and I was traveling the country, I bumped into this guy, Dave Striegel, in at a shop. Actually, it was at Napa Auto Care Center in Elizabeth, PA. And he was writing for Motor Age and he built a training center for his people in the local marketplace. So I picked up the phone because I had this crazy idea to do a podcast. And I says, I'm not going to call any friend that I have in the industry because they'll say, oh, sure, Carm, for you. Yeah, whatever you want. I didn't want that. I just wanted this total outsider to talk to Dave. And I did. And I said, listen, Everybody that I know who's a technician who ends up becoming a business owner like you started at a certain particular place. And my idea to do this podcast is to interview shop owners and talk about your pathway to remarkable results. And I stopped for a moment and I don't know how it just came out. And he goes, oh, I get it. He said, yes, I do a fist bump. I hang up the phone after I got a date and time. I ran out to my wife. <laughs> I says, we may have something here. I gave her a hug because we hadn't recorded one thing. I didn't have a podcast support company. I didn't have nothing. Then I hired the coach after that and, and a lot of really neat things started to happen. But it was, it was Dave Striegel. And then episode two, three, and four was the team from Dynamic Automotive in Maryland. My great friend, Lee, Dwayne, and Jose. We were with him at the, the keynote this morning and Dwayne's just a great, he's become a great friend. But if I had called Dwayne as the first interview, he'd say, sure, Carmen, for you. Knowing I had at least one done, and I knew that they had this incredible story. They had gone from rags to riches, and they told the story. And I'm thinking, if podcasting couldn't get any better, this is it. And I didn't even know what it was about. And they were willing to come up as transparent as possible. They told the story, and the podcast was an hour long. Now, Fonslow's are like an hour and a half, right? <laughs> it's an hour long. I thanked them so much. And I said, this was so great, guys. I mean, people are going to learn so much from this. They're going to put themselves in your, in your shoes. If they can do it, we can do it. And so I was so nervous, guys. I took this episode that was an hour long and I carved it up into three, three 20-minute episodes. So the dynamic team, Striegel's one, the dynamic is two, three, and four. And... I realized, because I was nervous, how long people's patience to listen. Podcasting has only been around for three or four years before that in any kind of thick, yep. you know. I love telling that story of my learning curve, the evolution of where our show came from. I was doing it for free for six months, kept calling people that I knew, Brian. And finally, I hooked up with an individual who used to be my Monroe rep 
in the early days. I worked for Federal Mogul, Mike Proud. Thank you, Mike, for giving me my shot. And Federal Mogul said, yeah, you think about all the brands that they had, right? And the rest is history. From a growth and getting myself into a comfort zone and uh, being able to put food on the table. Everyone listening, this is improvised totally. You know that mainly because I'm involved. <laughs> Matt says, no talking points, no bullet points. Just let's just do this. So this question is slightly unfair in that he hasn't had time to think about it. But I think it's a question that needs to be asked and that this is your baby. This is what got, got it all started. And it's 900 episodes. What does that mean to you? Like we did one for your 100th episode and had a group and it was a, a Zoom thing. Yeah. And now we're here at Apex 2023 and Vegas. And could you possibly qualify it hitting 900 episodes? No, not, a, not in your life. Never would have thought this. But see, I'm this possibility thinker, Brian. It didn't take me long to say that I have to do this other show that I called Face to Face. Town Hall Academy, guys. That's the Town Hall Academy. That's how it started. I just recently moved offices and I carried all these old papers and files worth of stuff. And I said, I'm not just going to move them. I'm going to go through it. And I started to look at so much of the old stuff. I had this memory trip in the last couple of weeks, just moving. Just anybody should move and look at the old stuff. I had this idea. I was never satisfied. We're rolling with, uh, with remarkable results. We did one show. Then I decided to do two remarkable results because the sponsor wanted to be more involved. And then I wanted to do a panel discussion, the single subject you know, panel discussion, which ultimately evolved to be the Town Hall Academy, which we're at 350 something. I think about it, divide that by 52. That's like six years. And I've been podcasting for eight. Matt, to kind of get into your question, I was never, the word's not satisfied, but I kept saying there's more I can do for the industry. I can interview a Brian. I can interview a Matt. But what about taking that challenge that people are having and bring on some people that are either going through it, came through it, oh my God, there's these coaches. Let me involve the coaches. Let's have a coaches lab. And so I found my element. One of my elements is I love moderating and bringing out the best. Those are not necessarily scripted, but they're all bulleted. Everyone has everyone's talking points, but there's a rule. We don't have to follow them. We just got to look at them and say, what can we give the audience that will be really beneficial so they can learn from it? So after Town Hall Academy started, Two remarkable results at Town Hall Academy, I still wasn't happy. And it's not like I wasn't happy, but my idea machine just didn't quit. And I met Vision, it was maybe four years ago. And I went up to my great friend, G. Jerry Trulia. And I said, we were just in the bar last night and you were going off on a tangent about stuff. Would you come into the studio and repeat that? I'm just going to sit on the side. I'm not going to say anything. Would you just go rant? Because you know how to do that really good, man, right? <laughs> and so G comes in the studio and he rants. And I says, ooh, I think I got something here, but I don't know what to call it. So I decided to call it for the record, meaning I would think I was on one show and I wanted somebody to come on my show and talk only about stuff that was working for them, bothered them, things that they saw in the industry. So we did that for 90 episodes. Was that a, just about a couple of years? And then aftermarket radio network started to, and I was doing Carmcast and ARN and I put uh, for the record in advance because we just couldn't do it all. But they all have and served a focused kind of messaging. Remarkable results is that sometimes we have two or three people on, but it's not like a town hall. 
And I think people have come when they listen to a particular show, Brian, Matt, they know the kind of content they're getting based, based on the show they're listening to. And then when you guys came on board, Tracy and I committed to be sure that they were all different and unique, that we just don't want to repeat what we're all doing together. We want to have really different, unique shows that lend to your area of expertise. If you went to Apex 2023, then you realize the incredible commitment that Apex has to the service professional shop owner, technician, and service advisor. Joe's Garage is your place to hang out with 10 working bays and real live working conditions. Also, the best tech companies from tools and repair to management software had their latest and greatest on display and demonstrated for you. You also attended technical and business management training with the industry's best and brightest trainers, coaches, and teachers. Work is underway to make next year's Apex 2024 have even more product demos, trending training, marketing, and social media support to help you grow your career, sales, and profits. Remember, if you're in your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Hey, let's face it. Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the industry's best, most comprehensive SMS. Now, it all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you need to run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. And having local representation is a huge plus. Customizing tracks to your business, whether you're a one-person shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company, a representative consults with you to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. Tracks always has the flexibility to do business how you need to do it, which means it can also grow as your business grows. And unlike the other guys, we'll be there for you after installation with the best training and support in the business. Yes, a learning management system tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. So Chris Cotton asked a question, you know, that something that he wanted us to ask you as well, and he he says, what is the biggest struggle you had when starting your business that nobody knows about? Oh, wow. Oh, thanks, Chris. Put me on the spot here. Nobody would listen. You know, the biggest struggle was that I was doing this. I found something that I totally loved to do. I don't know. Can I share with you? Ask me about my strength finders story, Matt. Okay. In a minute. And that I struggled with not being able to earn a living. I struggled with looking for sponsors. I struggled with who's going to listen to this. How do I promote it? There's a million people in the industry. Who knows about me? Who knows about podcast? I would go out. Thanks, Chris. You're making me think of this thing. Yeah, I'm a podcaster. What's that? Yeah, because when you started this, I mean, some people did, but for the most part, I yeah. mean, auto repair shop owners yeah. did not know what a podcast yeah. was. They didn't yeah. know to go look for this thing where they could learn. Today's the first day. Two people came in and says, I want to be a podcaster. What do I need to know? What microphone should I buy? What kind of equipment do I need? And I says, what's your podcast going to be about? (laughs) (laughs) One was baseball. Yeah, one was baseball. So I'm happy to help people. But I said, once you get by the very inexpensive investment you have in hardware, you have to have consistency and quality and good editing and professional. If you're just going to do it as a hobby, it's not going to last. 
to your point, you know, I've got every statistic that tells you how many podcasts are out there, but how many really survived. And it's a staggering number. It's low. So thank you, Chris, for making me think about my struggle. And I think we think about that every day, continuing to keep our sponsors engaged and happy with our content and have people, we, the barometer that we have, and I'm sure you guys do too, but coming to an event like this is people come up and they say, thank you so much. I mean, we've had people say you've turned our lives around personally and professionally because we listen together. We slap each other on the, on the side as we're driving on the road. See, listen, Brian's talking about that. Matt's talking about that. Dwayne's talking about that. They wouldn't have had that conduit before had I not made such a commitment to advance the aftermarket. But go back to Strength Finders. Yeah. So back when I was working for Corporate America, I got a new boss, an executive vice president over the vice president job that I had. And he said, I need you to go buy the book Clifton's Strength Finders test and read the first 30 pages and then slice open the code at the back and take the test. And so I did. And when I got the results back, I said, oh, this is going to hurt. I'm not sure he wants a guy like me working for a guy like him. Because it was, I looked at it and I said, that sounds like an executive vice president to me. And I was going to have to go to work with this person who didn't necessarily know as much as I did about the industry. Okay. But he lived in the town that the corporate headquarters was. A couple of years after, and I'm podcasting and I'm just dealing with everything that you would if you care enough about quality content and what your listener needs to hear. I was probably in a blue moment or struggling and I took the Clifton Strengths Finder off of the shelf signed back on and I read everything about my top five strengths and I realized that I was doing exactly what I was born to do. Nice. So when we start out something like you did with this podcast, you know, typically, you know, you'll go with the, I guess it's one of the seven habits that begin with the end in mind. So you had, you had some kind of an idea at that time, what this would become. And we already know it's not what you thought it would become then is not what it has become now. But what are some of the things that you have learned along the way where you had to, you had to make a shift you had to make a pivot because it wasn't going the way that you thought it would originally. I think my biggest pivot, Brian, it's a great question, is I had to become a better interviewer. I would listen to everything I did. Not only did I give the interview, I edited the interview and then I re-listened to it. <laughs> so, and there were some painful points I just couldn't go take back, but I wanted them to run with it. And I said, they're going to forgive me. They may not even notice the level of quality that I was looking for, not only in editing and audio quality that we kept trying to find different compressors that would make it sound, you know, big bubblesy radio stuff. Right. And I started to go online and say, how do you become a good interviewer? And NPR actually had some great articles from some of their top radio interviewers. And I got them and I read them. And then my coach, by the way, I had hired at that about nine months in and he realized where I wanted to go and what I want to do. And I still have a Slack channel with him. And he said, as an interviewer, who do you admire? And at the time I said, Charlie Rose. He was Good on choice. the, thank you. He was on the CBS morning show and he also did an NPR show in the dark, in the round. And he just had the lights were on him. The lights were on somebody else and Charlie rose in my mind. And I don't know how tall he is. By the way, we just looked it up. He's 81 years old. He's a tall person. And I just adored his style. And so I just kept watching Charlie Rose until he got into his trouble and they kicked yeah. him off CBS. But I kept watching Charlie Rose reading the articles. So part of my struggle was to say, 
that if my strengths say that advancing the aftermarket, caring for people, having, being a visionary and an ideas person that I could come up and bridge these titles and topics and give them to the industry, then I got to get better at it. That's it. I just couldn't assume that, well, if I did 900, maybe there's a breaking point where I'll get really good. I worked at. Do you have any episodes of these 900 that you kind of like to go back and re-listen to? Oh God, yes. And for various reasons, like some of them very, very good yet. And you don't have to say which, like I wouldn't want you to necessarily incriminate anybody either, but also to look back and cringe. Yeah. I have a such a tremendous memory of Giuliano Zaccato. I think that's the one I was going to bet you were going to say. He was a designer, I think, and artist. And he was a 80 something, 90 something. He was 80s and he was one of the original clay sculptors on the Mustang. He had a, he was 80 some years old and he had a 10 year plan. Oh yeah. But I ended up meeting Giuliano here at Apex and he was giving a keynote speech and he's telling his story about coming over from Italy. I am Italian. Giuliano's a talking a broken English. Okay. And so he comes down off stage. And I take out my business card, which is always in my front right pocket. And I went up to him after he was signing all of these press pictures of him because he sold himself as the Mustang man. And I went up to Giuliano and I said, hi, uh, my name is Carmenucci Capriotto. Because I wanted to say to him in broken Italian, right? And he goes, oh, great. Nice to meet you. He says, do I have something to sign for you? I says, no. I said, but I'm a podcaster. And of course, Brian, he said, what's a podcast, (laughs) right? I told him, I says, I want to get your story told. And I says, can I call you? Would you call me? Within a week, Giuliano called me. We spoke every week for like a year. And to your point on your 10-year plan, Giuliano created the Mustang Man musical for Broadway. He was off the charts. He's being hired by Mustang places all over the country to go and sign shrouds of cars and all places. And he was such an amazing man. Well, we got to do this episode. And for the first time, Trace, I wanted to do a video one too. So I took this very crude, back then, episode 172, we're at 900 on RRR, right? He says, listen, my son-in-law, he's really good at this stuff. I want you to talk to him, send him some emails, tell him what I need for microphone and cameras and lighting and all that stuff. And so we did it over Zoom. And Giuliano told his story about coming over from Italy. He couldn't get into the US. Can you imagine? He couldn't get into the U.S. He had to go to Canada and he had to go through all the proper papers. But when he got there, he got tuberculosis of the bone. I never heard of that. And he says, I'm in a hospital laying flat. I couldn't get up. I couldn't sit up. And they gave me this bar of soap and I carved the likeness of Lincoln into the bar of soap while I'm looking up at a mirror. And what happened is he gets cured. He comes out and he's looking over to Windsor. He's in Windsor. He's looking over in Detroit and he sees all these towers and smokestacks. And he says to people, what's over there? He says, oh, those are auto manufacturers. He didn't know he was, he came over, he was a woodworker, but everybody says, you're a great sculptor. And he didn't know what that meant. He just didn't know what it meant. He meets someone. He decides to go get a lawyer to get his work visa so that he could come over to the U.S. And a friend of his worked at Chrysler and sent him to Chrysler. I'm telling you the story like I'm his son. This is how impressed I was with Giuliano while I got to know him. And Giuliano went, knocked on the door at Chrysler and they says, 
We just don't have any opportunities here. But my uncle is in design at Ford. Right place, right time. He goes over to Ford, knocks on the door, and they say, can you sculpt? And he says, yeah. He sculpting on soap when he was He goes, yeah, I can sculpt. So they hired him, put him in this secret little room with no name on the outside, and they're making the Mustang there. He tells the story of Lee Iacocca and Henry Ford, too. They know that Lee was excited when he would swirl and puff on his cigar. It's all in the episode. And I just adored that episode because it was so personal. I got to be inside of Giuliano. And I ended up being at his house in Detroit when he was sick. He calls me from the road. We talked all the time after the episode was out. Me and Giuliano are still at it. He retires from Ford submits a proposal to Chrysler and they send him to a castle in Italy with a crew to design the Crossfire. He's the guy. And I go, I had known that part of the story, but he calls me from the road and he says, I don't feel good. I'm going home. He goes home. He's got glioblastoma stage four in his brain. And so I was going to an ASA meeting in Detroit where he lives And I said, Giuliano, we got to get that crossfire story down. And so he says, okay. I says, I'm going to Detroit next week. Can I come over and bring all my stuff and set up? And he goes, absolutely. So I'm in Giuliano's house. We have, I don't know, one or two cameras. We've got some lights. Barbaric. (laughs) Totally barbaric to what we're doing today. And I do the episode with him on the crossfire, but it took us a long time to get it done because he was so emotional and so sick with the chemo. Yeah. Yeah, those are two good stories. It's going to be hard to follow that one. But another question that Chris had is, what is the number one item on your bucket list? And why haven't you done it yet? You know, Chris, if you're listening to this, we know Chris is going to listen. Oh, I love it. I don't have a bucket list. And I really should make one. But I think one of them was always because too many people have shamed me into not going to Italy. Really? Yeah. I don't remember shaming you. You didn't. No, you haven't. That's one of the things you never. Lots and lots and lots of others still. Yeah. But I guess I got to pull Bob Cooper's name from the pile because when I was hanging with Bob Cooper for some time until he sold uh, Elite Worldwide and he's, he's retired, but. Bob would say, you're Italian and you've never been to Italy. I mean, I got scolded. I get scolded by people who've been to Italy and ask me, so how was the old country? You've been there, haven't you? <laughs> I would say, no. Grandma's from Sicily. Two of my, two came from Sicily, two came from the mainland. And I do believe we probably have some relatives over in a, I think a town called Brusei. And I think I'm pretty right on that. But, and Trace wants to go there on her honeymoon. And we, Anne and I may just do the cruise ship around Italy and maybe meet her and Garrett. So that is something that I don't talk a lot about. It's a lifelong thing that I would love to go to. I would say get to it. And, and then to and, it. And own it's later tra- than you think. And then own a tractor. I thought you had a tractor. All right. We got to talk <laughs> brands here. He, he does have We got to have something important. I just got a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a John Deere? No. Oh, okay. He got a proper tractor. It's so orange. It's orange. A Kubota? Yeah. Yeah. So... I moved to the country 18 years ago from the suburbs and and found, you know, her final last house. Thank God. Because <laughs> it's our fourth. We have two cars and everybody around me has F-150s. Naturally. And tractors. 
I have eight and a half acres of woods and hills. And every time we would drive anywhere, I'd look over at this little acre parcel and I'd see this really cool Kubota, Ford, John Deere tractor in the yard sitting outside. And I would say, what the heck does he need that for for this acre of flat land? I need to know this. What am I missing? And I got to get a tractor. So for 18 years, I called it tractor envy. And would always say, she'd go by and she'd go, hey, he's got your tractor. So anyway, I had a weak moment. Hey, tractor therapy is a real thing. They're not inexpensive, right? I mean, I don't know what you got. I'm I'm guessing something in the 20 to 30 horse range. No, no. I think it's a little less than that. But how it happened is my club cadet of 18 years, the deck fell down. I lost all the welds on it. And I said, oh, damn. I mean, we had lost so many appliances this year. It's it's scary to know. It's been a terrible, terrible year for calamity. So when the club cup cadet, I said to myself, oh, maybe, maybe there's a tractor with a mower deck on it. Oh, no, it's right. Oh, yeah. I decided to go out to the local place and they had Kubotas and we looked at a couple of units. And in the meantime, we go to dinner every Friday night with a great group of friends, really great group of friends. And I'm telling Mike, he's a mat. There's nothing he can't do. He's got a shop. He's got, you name the equipment, probably a Brian too. I right? can't get along with Tracy. I said to Mike, I took a picture of Moradek. He says, bring it over tomorrow, Saturday. So I brought it over Saturday. He called me two hours later and he says, come and pick it up. I says, couldn't fix it. Huh? You just needed to see it. He goes, no, it's as good as new. And I said, shit, no tractor. You're killing me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I says, We've had cars like that. They bring them in. They want us to tell them it's done. Trade it in, take it to the junkyard. Exactly. And so I said, okay, I'll come over and. He had it all painted up and everything. He way overdid it because it's, but this is how Mike is. So I bring it over, I put it on and I decided, you know, get it in gear and see if it can cut the grass. I put two new blades on it. It just cut beautiful. And I says, there's no way in my heart of hearts I could buy my track. And then I thought, my son, he pushes. <laughs> and so I went to Ann and I says, I think we should just give this to Mac. And she says, Great idea. And I got my tractor. (laughs) I got my tractor. So, yeah, I was working with a salesman and I says, all these tractors, I get this tractor envy and they're always outside. So I can see all my neighbors, wherever I drive in the country, all these tractors. And he goes, why do people keep their tractors outside? That's what he said to me. I says, I have three garages and it's going to have a nice home. Well, I mean, this is a big tractor, but we used to park that in the... The uh, top floor, if you will, of the barn, of the barn, yeah, because the bottom was, you know, basement, if you will, is where the cattle were to be fed. Yeah, yeah. I just extended my shop, and now my tractor lives under a roof. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Brian has a track. I always kidded with him about tractor envy. I mean, you did have one time. You told me you had a skid steer too. Did yes, you get I, rid of that? No, I, I have a tractor, a skid steer, and an excavator. Oh, yeah. Of course. I think those are Tonka toys, right? They are. <laughs> How about a zero yeah. turn mower? I do. Yeah. I got one of those. See, I don't. Dude, I'm cutting you haven't the, lived. I'm, but I'm cutting the grass with the Kubota, but it is power steering, all wheel drive. Anyway. All right. So next question is coming from Matt Wag. Oh. Which he's been on your show before. Sure he has. Great oh, guy. Multiple times. Yeah. You have the opportunity to have conversations with so many people that know this industry so well. And there's a lot of talk right now and you hear different things 
about the future of the industry. And I'm talking about the near future of the industry and how people feel like things are going to go. So with your experience in the industry and with all of the conversations that you've had and all of the things that you've learned, what do you think the next five years looks like for this industry? I'm preparing an episode on that. And I'm going through a list of people that I want to have come on. And it's always tough. Who should be on? Who's got this expertise? Coaches, owners, a Matt, a Brian, I don't know. But it just seems to me that back in 2015, that this continuing roller coaster theme, okay, of the challenges that we've had in our industry, economic, and, you know, to a point, I chatted with somebody earlier today about this exact thing. And we've always come through it, but the marginal shop owner is not going to make it because there's going to be a consumer confidence thing. A lot of the bullets that are coming into coaches today from the stats that are coming from their clients, this car count is down. To your point about marketing, to your point about training, Matt, I'm pointing to Brian and, and Matt, there are so many things that we have to pay attention to that I go back to what we do. I'm so proud that we have this content, this catalog and the kind of topics that we cover. And when I put my head on the pillow at night, I just hope I could change one person by listening to something and, and says, you know what? I got to give myself a kick in the ass and I got to get up and over all the problems that I'm creating on my very own. I want to be here. I want to stay here. I don't think this is worthy of a 40-minute podcast, Brian, to, yeah. to talk about that. And I'm going to do one or two on it. And some of the talking points that I actually have been writing down about, first of all, the economy, where are we going with this thing and how much worse can it possibly get? And then I wrote down just the world and the wars that we have going on and how we're more divided than we've ever been before. And that's going to hurt consumer confidence. That's going to hurt people wanting to spend money. They're going to be afraid where are we going? Where's the crash? Not the market crash, but where's the crash in my forehead going to happen? Because we all have to change how we love, how we life and all that stuff. Worried about that. Never stop advertising marketing. Where's the margins going to have to be? Where are the shop rates? Are we legitimately looking at margins that are built from the ground up and not just an, an arbitrary number enough to make profit? People come up to me and says, Carm, I'm now at a three-week payroll reserve in Carm. We're a really profitable company. We got some of the greatest people on our market ever. And I just extended from two to three weeks in my payroll reserve only because I'm concerned about where the car count can be. And I know we're doing great DVIs and I know we're, try we're, we're showing every customer everything, but there's a point in time where depending on where the consumer's confidence is, that no matter how hard we work, we still may have a hit of revenue. And then hiring unicorns, stop doing that and start training, start apprenticing, be well capitalized, don't spend stupid money, listen to Hunt's shows, find course corrections or a different approach if you don't think things are working. And that takes the ego on the shelf and a pers personal change. Future of diagnostics. I have this great question, burning question I can't wait to ask. I'm going to do this. Actually, this episode's going to happen Thursday. Will AI be able to help DIYs diagnose their car? I need to know that. Vetting processes for customers and people. And Brian, it's a great question. I'm thinking a lot about it. I look back at the content, the people that are inside of our, you know, aftermarket radio network and the stuff that we're doing as a team to help people. The winners are going to win. They may get challenged, 
but they're so good at what they do that they're going to come out. They're going to buy the people that are marginal. We're going to continue to grow and expand and consolidate. And we're going to see an attrition of some of those unprofessional shops that have not made the call. So it's going to be a, a great time for the great shops and a bad time for the bad shops. Yeah, yeah in essence. Yeah. And this will be sometime in the next 10 or so episodes, probably. Yeah. Looking forward to this. I'm going to ask all those questions of the people that are coming in the studio. And I think it's important for people to want to hear. None of them are, yeah, you got to do this. But everything that we do on the show, you do on your two shows, you're enticing thought, dialogue, movement, change, course correction. And that's what we do. We want to help people. We're givers. You guys wouldn't have come on the show if, if I didn't see what I do in you guys and the content that you guys produce. I mean, every time you turn on the mic, I know you want to have fun and you want your listener to appreciate your topics. But at the end of the day, you're helping people if they choose to listen and to do something with it, to be inspired by it. So uh, what is next for Remarkable Results oh, Radio? Tracy and I are brainstorming some ideas. What's next for the Aftermarket Radio Network is two new shows. We are very close. We have one in the can that's not been announced or released yet because we're not 100% there, but everything's signed up. And then we have one other one. And we're so proud of selecting and picking people that are going to complement everything that we do here on the show. So I think growing aftermarket radio network and even trying to work on, you know, those call-in type shows. And I'm not sure we can use actual cell phones, but I want to do something different when it comes to engaging. What time is it? 7.30 at night Eastern. I, I don't know how we can pull some great engagement from a live audience. That's what I'm thinking to do. I have to ask the question. I have to. I know what your answer is going to be, but are you going to give us any teasers on these new shows? No, no. <laughs> You're absolutely going to love them. They're, they're going to be such an incredible compliment to what you guys are doing and, and I'm doing. We're just thrilled. One of them has been in the incubator for a while. We've been working on, and one just happened. I just can't wait to tell the story. And I have to tell on that person's first show, I, of course, I've, I've done the first show with all of you guys, right? And on that person's first show, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the story of how, how it just happened. Well, I will say on, you know, behalf of the industry, thank you for doing what you do. And also congratulations on 900 yeah. episodes. Wow. I would have never thought. Absolutely. You know, were you on the 100th? Yes. See, I knew what half a dozen friends in the industry. So I, I think I invited everyone that I knew. We had a blast. Yeah. I think we had wine out and the hundredth. And then we, of course, celebrated 200, 300, 400, and now we're at 900th, and it just so happens it's coming out next week already. I mean, we're recording this on a really tight schedule because we've been so busy preparing for Apex. And I could call Trace. Trace, do you know that the the day we get back, the at 900th is supposed to release? And she goes, well, I guess, Dad, we better record it. at." And so thank you both, Brian Walker, uh, Matt Fossil, for coming in here. And this is nothing like we've done in the past. It's more low-key. I wanted to tell more of the story that happened with me. I thought these questions were pretty good. They put me up to a challenge, Trace. Yeah, she's happy. All right. Yeah, only one year from now, you'll be doing a thousand. Yeah, yeah uh, in a year from now, of a thousand remarkable results. And, you know, what should we do for the 400th of Town Hall Academy, which is probably going to be in a year? I think as a group, as an aftermarket radio network, we need to cherish these milestones that we hit because we're doing it for the sake of improving people's personal and professional quality of success. That's our goal. It's always been my mission and know it's yours. 
I'm thrilled to say that uh, we got 900 in the can. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time...